Welcome back to Monstrosity's Voice, Horrors and Touch Conversations. I'm your lovely host, Kaeja Fields. Happy New Year, y'all. I hope y'all had a wonderful and safe New Year. I know I did. And we're here, Episode 3, Season 1. And I'm going to be talking to y'all about my top 10 favorite horror films of the decade. So the concept of creating or curating a list of my favorite horror films for this decade hadn't even really crossed my mind until a fellow horror friend of mine Deanna created a cool YouTube video and I instantly was inspired so if you want to check out her cool channel and see some cool horror commentary subscribe to her YouTube channel at ghost d that's at ghost g-h-o-s-t-d-e-e so here I am sitting back thinking like damn there were a ton ton of awesome horror movies that came out between 2010 to 2019. We were introduced to new horror universes such as a Conjuring and Annabelle universe, a surge of social media and technology-based horror films such as Cam and Unfriended, and we saw genre-bending Oscar-worthy real-life horror films like Get Out, Us, and Hereditary. I definitely couldn't just jot down 10 movies without having inner conviction that I was leaving something else out. So I have a ton of honorable mentions. So stop what you're doing, grab a glass of wine, beer, or a cup of tea, and travel down the memory lane with my personal favorite films from this past decade. Now, disclaimer, these films have personal value and memory to me, okay? I'm not ranking them in any specific order. Um, I'm not ranking them because they got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. These are just films that I appreciated through this past decade. And this is a super spoiler alert film, okay, guys? Or excuse me, spoiler alert episode, guys. I will be discussing briefly different plots and themes in each film. So if you haven't seen the film yet, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. So let's go ahead and get right into it with 2010 we're going to be discussing the crazies okay it was released february 23rd 2010 directed by breck eisner and grossed about 55 million dollars in the box office so i think it's really cool that i could start off my list with a film that i would consider to be kind of in the underdog league now the crazies was originally a or initially a remake of george a romero's 1973 film of the same title now the film pretty much is you know you have this town and it is a pretty you know orthodox cool small country town but some shit really hits the fan whenever um there's a little league baseball game and like this zombie like disoriented man starts to charge towards the players with this gun right and so the sheriff 
and who's obviously one of the main protagonists in the film has to end up killing the man. But there's also some other weird shit going on because a man burns his house down with his family in it. And then the townspeople have come to a realization that there's like this infectious like disease going around, which is later discovered as a Trixie virus that is making the people of the town act crazy as hell. So the reasons why I really like this movie is, or actually let me start off by explaining to y'all how I even found out about this movie. So I was watching the DVD of M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening and one of the previews was like this eerie, erratic, zombie, infectious film. And they started playing towards the end of the trailer, Gary Jewell's version of Mad World, which is a really cool song. And I was like, what the heck? This is super fucking creepy. So I definitely was like, I gotta watch this movie. I really enjoyed the super conspiracy undertones throughout the film. The townspeople are conspiring, really trying to figure out what's going on and why the virus even developed. Was it the plane that crashed? Did the, did the government plan it? It seemed as, as if the virus was strategically placed in that specific town. And the, the ending of the movie... So we get to the end and we had the lone survivors and you think that they found a safe place. They've they've survived this giant like blast um, of them like eradicating pretty much like killing everybody in the town so that it won't spread. You think that these lone survivors have a new beginning away from the virus and little do you know they've been watched by the damn military the entire time. And the military is about to unleash some really catastrophic shit on them. And you know what? Overall, The Crazies is a great movie, and I personally feel like it was super underrated. Moving on to 2011 <laughs> with Apollo 18. Okay, Apollo 18 was released September the 2nd, 2011, directed by Gonzalo Lopez Galilego. If I pronounce that correctly, please don't, you know, get on me if I did it. I'm sorry. So now this is the first found footage film on my list and I have a hilarious backstory as to why I love this movie. So around the time I was in high school, I was really diving deep into YouTube conspiracy theories like the good stuff before they took it all down. You know, the Illuminati, government conspiracies. I was deep in a rabbit hole. And while I was in English class, I believe it was like my either my sophomore or junior year in college, uh, high school, my good friend Miles Lewis, shout out to Miles, was discussing the movie and I overheard him. And I was like, hey, are you talking about Apollo 13? And he's like, no, Apollo 18. And he goes on to explain the film. And he had me with the two phrases of, based on a true story and space alien. So if you, you know, all haven't tuned into episode two about Wrinkles the Clown, I'm like a sucker for based on a true story films. And they absolutely positively scare the shit out of me. So I watched it. I watched Apollo 18, of course, and it scared the absolute crap out of me. So the movie is pretty much about there's a it's a found footage film for an abandoned space mission. Three astronauts were sent to the moon on a secret mission to protect the U.S. from Soviet Union interference. And this footage is supposed to be the real reason why our country hasn't been back to the moon. The film takes place in the 1970s with Commander Nathan Walker, Captain Ben Anderson, and Lieutenant Colonial, who uh, the lieutenant is like floating in orbit while Ben and Nathan are kind of like on ground. So long story short, the astronauts collect some rock samples from the moon and that's when all hell breaks loose. The rock samples end up being like some weird fucking moon aliens and they get infected one by one. Well, sort of. Nathan is the um, infected 
Nathan is infected pretty much the whole damn movie and Ben is pretty much trying to like call back to the station for help. Now this is really where the spookiness transpires and where he finds finds out that they're pretty much doomed. So after a long battle of communication with the station, Ben gets word back that like pretty much the U.S. government is aware of what the fuck is going on and they're like, uh, we can't allow you to come back home. Um, and they have like no assistance, any form of assistance to save them. So pretty much they're saying, we know what's going on, keep your ass out there and die because you're not going to bring your ass back to Earth and give us whatever type of space alien disease that, you know, you have acquired on the moon. But the most screwed up part and terrifying part of this entire movie, and this is where the whole conspiracy thing comes in, conspiracy theory thing comes in, is at the end of the movie, you see photos of the astronauts and what seemed to be a fucking made up paragraph with like a fictional scenario of how they each died. So pretty much the government lied to these folks and their family and everything. And it makes you really think like, what the fuck else has the damn government been lying to us about? It was a great movie. I think it's on Netflix right now. So if y'all get a chance, like hop over to Netflix and just watch it. It's a really awesome movie. And in regards to like found flicks, it's fucking awesome. So moving on to 2012, I do have a few couple of honorable mentions that I'm going to start off with. First, I have VHS, which is also on Netflix, I think. It should should still be on Netflix. I know VHS 2 is on Netflix right now. Um, So I'm going to keep it short and sweet. With VHS, I remember watching it my freshman year Prairie View in the um, the media room that was in our dorms, and I literally could not go to sleep the night that I watched it because of the image of the chick who's like, I like you. That bitch kept me up all night. <laughs> and then also Chernobyl Diaries. So another movie I'm going to keep short and sweet with, obviously, is Chernobyl Diaries. I was working as a food runner. Um, for Studio Movie Girl at the time. And ironically, I had to make a run to the theater that was playing Chernobyl Diaries, which wasn't really an issue. But I had to take a tray full of peanut butter shakes. So I'm walking into the theater and there's like this huge jump scare. And I dropped every damn shake on the floor and I could not live down that moment. That literally is the reason this film made it to this list. Because every time somebody references Chernobyl Diaries, I think about those damn peanut butter milkshakes. Like, that is so funny. So moving forward to the main film of 2012, I could not go through this list without mentioning this damn movie, Sinister, okay? So Sinister was released October 12, 2012, directed by Scott Dickerson, and it is starring the Ethan Hawke. Now, I didn't watch this film as soon as it came out, for I was like a naive young one at the time, and I grew to love and appreciate the style and take on this film. So the synopsis is pretty much we have a true crime writer who's played by Ethan Hawke, who has declined in his career popularity and is looking for a new spark of creativity. So he blindly moves his family into a home where gruesome murders took place literally like nine months prior. So while snooping around in his house, he uncovers some disturbing snub films of families being murdered. And um, across some of the images, there's like this mass monster figure where we get the introdu- uh, introduction, excuse me, to Bagul, this demonic otherworldly entity, entity that feasts on children. In that moment, he unleashes some shit that he wished he wouldn't have. And like he has pretty much put himself and his family in some serious danger. So um, before I get into more of the film, I have a few things to get off my chest regarding this movie. So one, the fact that the wife in the movie initially like didn't know where she was moving just like fucking sends me. So like no wife in the history of wifeism is going to just move into a random ass house, especially a house in the same fucking vicinity of a, you know, 
in a place where murders have happened. And the fact that the the husband waited to tell his wife that he moved his family into a murder house until she asked him also sent me. So you have like a clueless wife who jokes about her husband's interaction with dead people. You have a son who has a condition that causes him night terrors and then you move him into a haunted house. Super child neglect. And then you also have a young daughter who is communicating with spirits of a dead child who was murdered in the house. Like the film overall is great, but the character and the character development is a hot ass mess. Um, so why do I love this movie so much? Honestly, Bagul. He is literally one of my favorite monsters and he also looks petrifying. I definitely love Sinister 1 over Sinister 2. And if you do see Sinister 2, you'll notice that Eddie from It is also the main character in Sinister 2. <laughs> so moving on to 2013, you have The Conjuring. Now, the first Conjuring was a beautifully orchestrated haunted house possession story. Um, and it's pretty much uh, about a family in the night excuse me in the early 1970s um the Perron family excuse me that moved their family into a 150 year old farmhouse in rural Rhode Island that within itself sounds bad already they don't even really get a chance to unbox their belongings all the way before all the hauntings and creepy shit starts to transpire in particular with the mom the family seeks out help of demonologist Edna Lorraine Warren to avenge her of her soul so I can remember watching this film in theaters and losing my mind when the mom was in the basement and was playing the clapping game she heard um and while she was playing it she heard like clapping in the darkness I fucking lost it no one could clap around me for like the next like month or I just instantly thought about the conjuring um I saw the movie initially with some friends and in particular one of my good friends Tiffany and I can remember being scared to go to her house that night because if you could remember the scene where Lorraine Warren saw the dead body hanging from the tree Tiffany's tree in front of her house looked just like that damn tree in that movie and yeah definitely I was not fucking with it <laughs> but yeah, that is The Conjuring. Moving forward to the 2014, you have um, a few honorable mentions. First, we're going to start off with Tusk. So if you're familiar with Jay and Silent Bob, well, um, more so Silent Bob, you know, Kevin Smith is, you know, Silent Bob. He wasn't so silent when he created Tusk in 2014. It was released September 19, 2014, starring Justin Long. Now, Justin Long is the annoying little shit brother in the first Jeepers Creepers film that pretty much got him and his sister in the shit that they were in. Um, so I did this thing like my sophomore year of college where I would literally lock myself in my apartment and watch random horror trailers. And that's when I came across the beautiful film Tusk. Now, I did not watch Tusk as soon as it came out. It was probably around 2016 when I was like initially introduced to the film. So taking place initially in the United States, Justin Long's character plays an obnoxious podcaster who is desperate for a story. While having a dead trip to Canada, he comes across a storyteller. Unfortunately, that will be the last story that he'll be able to hear. I really don't want to spoil the movie for y'all because it's super fucking trippy. And it has some great cameos like Johnny Depp's in it. Yes, the Johnny Depp. And also Haley Joel Osment, the young actor from The Sixth Sense. Um... So that's what this is one of the films we're not going to dive like too deep into the synopsis. I really want you guys to like go and watch it for yourselves. Um, and if you're into body horror, actually that I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not into body horror, but this film is actually really fucking funny. Um, you should definitely watch it. I think it's on Netflix still, if I'm not mistaken. But a fun fact is while I was at Monster Palooza in 2017, I saw the walrus bodysuit that was used in the movie. So if you want to know what movie I'm talking about, please go watch it. Also, last thing, if you haven't seen the movie or if you have seen it, just know that I will never, ever, ever look at walruses the same. 
So yeah, take body horror, walruses, and a weird fucking podcaster in Canada and just add that to the equation. Go watch Tusk. Um, my other honorable mention for that year is It Follows. Now, again, I'm not going to draw too much into It Follows, but just know that this film is a masterful take on sexually transmitted diseases, or I would rather say a sexually transmitted demon entity that will kill you if you don't transmit it to another person within an ample amount of time. It's unorthodox, suspenseful, but the cinematography is beautiful with still shots and colors that help tell the somber story. Now moving to the main movie of 2014, Good Night Mommy. I absolutely love this film. So Good Night Mommy was released August 8, 2014. It is an Austrian film, so yes, there are subtitles, but that is going to be the least of your fucking concerns while you're watching this very twisted but also minimalistic film. So you have twin brothers, Lucas and Elias, who suspect something is wrong with their mother after she returns from a dramatic cosmetic surgery. They have conspired, mainly with the judgment of twin Elias, that her mean and ill behavior towards twin Lucas um, doesn't help the fact that they think that their mom is fucking crazy. But it's more than meets the mind. You, the audience, grows to discover that Lucas, one of the twins, has been fucking dead the entire fucking movie. And some may say that he died by drowning or some others say that he died by fire. But the surviving brother, Elias, can't handle the grief. And he's young, so he doesn't even really know how to comprehend what has happened due to his young age. So he's literally content with living his life with this made-up version of his brother in his mind while they torment and torture their mother in hopes to identify who she really is. So the twisted ending will have you speechless. Goodnight Mommy is literally centered around loss, bereavement, and mother-son relationship. I don't know if you guys um, have ever seen that film or, like, have ever seen the trailer, but if y'all know me personally, I have, like, a super phobia of cockroaches. I hate cockroaches. So the cockroach scene in the movie, like, literally sends me. It is... That is terrible. (laughs) Moving forward to 2015, we have another honorable mention, which is The Gift. Now, if you haven't seen The Gift, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. This isn't a typical horror film. Really, it's not a horror film at all. There's no blood or monsters, but more of a psychological thriller that depicts humanity and their own inner monsters. It's a great film with the lasting effects of bullying and the concept of never judging a book by its cover. All right, so let's move towards The Witch, or I like to call it The VV Itch because that's literally what it says, but I mean, obviously, I know that the title of the film is called The Witch. So The Witch is a complex depictment of the downside of babysitting, okay? Make sure you watch your fucking kids. It was my first real introduction to the unique and creative film production of A24 in all that it encompasses. Granted, Tusk is was also created by A24, but I really started to like get really appreciate like the production of that company once the the witch came out. I literally almost called it the VVH guys. <laughs> so if you are more into like slow burn films, for example, like The Exorcist, and you have a pocket full of patience, then the witch is definitely for you and it will not let you down. Now the director, Robert Eggers, literally takes the New England folktale style. He dashes a bunch of like abrupt bloody flash jump scares and then sends you on a ride. Now, moving forward to 2015, this is where, like, my list gets, like, really interesting because this is super, like, personal opinion, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from a lot of, like, other horror scholars or, like, super horror fanatics because of this, and I really don't care, but my actual pick for 2015 is none other than the Gallows. Don't look at me 
or make a face of confusion. Let me explain first why I love the gallows. So backstory. I went into the gallows with super low expectation, okay? Solely because of the fucking Charlie Charlie challenge that was like super overdone and it like was like around that time 2015 that's when a lot of internet crazes really started to like take hold on social media um and then also the trailer really didn't do much justice for trying to figure out what the hell the the story was about um so how did I go from placing such snooty prejudgment on this film to saying boldly that it was one of the most underrated films of the year easy let me first give you a backstory about the film so, in 1993, you have Charlie Grimlet, Grimmel, I believe that's his last name, a high school st- theater student who accidentally hangs himself while acting in the school's rendition of The Gallows. 20 years later, the school is trying to put on the theatrical play again, which I don't know why. I just do not think that was a good idea. Anywho, we get introduced to seemingly sweet theater nerd Pfeiffer, excuse me, Roth, and school jock Reese. Instantly, I like take that like idea within within those two dynamic characters and think that this is like a haunted like high school musical story <laughs> because you have like literally like Vanessa Hudgens character and Zac Efron's character but turn it into a horror film and then you have the gallows but anywho Reese's family for um, excuse me friends for some reason does not want him to play in this damn play and it, it, for me, I just don't appreciate how, like, they make all the jocks, like, so adamantly, like, involved in Reese's life. Like, yeah, man, this is going to be, like, a downside of the football team. Like, in real life, nobody fucking cares if you're, like, the football player is, like, playing in theater. In actuality, that shows versatility, which is great. It means you're a well-rounded student. But back to the movie. So the teammates and Reese decide that they are going to vandalize the stage to set up um, and make it seem like it didn't happen. But in actuality, we all know that Reese wanted to actually play in the movie because he had a crush on Pfeiffer and didn't want anyone to know because of high school dynamics or like high school musical said the status quo. This is this is when shit really hits the fan. Um, super side note, where are the goddamn parents? Like my mother would not have allowed me to leave the house that late at night in high school for no apparent reason. So, anywho, come to find out the school is haunted by the hangman and the students are discovering so much shit. One, Charlie wasn't even supposed to play in that damn play that day. In the 1993 rendition, it was actually Reese's dad who was supposed to play the character and Charlie was simply an understudy. Two, there was an old news coverage that was playing in which Charlie's girlfriend discusses the horrible tragedy of her boyfriend's death. Come to find out, bitch, that's fucking Pfeiffer's mama. And she practically trained her child to manipulate Reese into liking her so that he can participate in the play so that she can seek her 20-year-old revenge out on Reese, which I personally don't think is fair because it was his dad's fault, not his fault. But I mean, hey, this whole list, like if you listen to like the rest of the films, you need to ask your parents some questions because a lot of they dirty laundry will sit up and, and bite you in the ass. The ending is the reason why this film is on my list again. And whoever did the costume design for this fucking movie is specifically for the hangman, sir, ma'am, whoever you are. And that is Oscar worthy because that entity was frightening as fuck. I super love the scene where Cassidy, the blonde cheerleader character, has like the noose around her neck and is dragged to her death by the hangman. It's amazing. The special effects were simple yet awesome. And that's why I love the film so much. Again, disclaimer, this is my personal list, okay? I'm not ranking this on box office grosses or any Rotten Tomatoes or IMDB ratings, you know? Moving on to 2016, now we're going to start off with our honorable mentions. Honorable mention number one is 
Hush. Okay, so Netflix did what they needed to do when they debuted Hush. Okay, now I didn't watch it while it initially first came out, but I can remember just scrolling through Netflix one night in my apartment and I decided to watch it. So you have Arthur Maddie, who happens to be deaf and lives in the fucking middle of nowhere in the woods by herself. One, I'm definitely one for living a like solitary life, but uh, she lives in the middle of nowhere. Like, sis, where's Target? Kroger, HGB? I need something. <laughs> She's just chilling in her house and she gets confronted by a masked intruder who is trying to cut her ass up. This is a great twist to a survival film. Not only does she have to fight for her life, but she has to be extra careful because of her disability. You take a deaf woman and place her in a pseudo-realistic situation where she has to fight for her life. Kate Siegel, who plays Maddie, is a great and talented actress, and I love how you can really see the fear and emotion through her eyes in this film. The special effects, again, were extremely impressive, and that's Hush. Now moving to the actual film we have raw okay i'm not going to talk too much about raw because i have my next episode which is going to be solely based on raw that was directed by julia i don't know how to pronounce her last name so we're just going to call her julia d now this is a french film so again you will have subtitles but also again you will not be focused on the goddamn subtitles because their amount of blood and viscerality if that's even a word in this movie so raw debuted in September of 2016 at the Toronto Film Festival where the audience was literally vomiting due to the graphic nature of the film. Now again, I am not a fan of body horror at all. Like I hate the fly films like Slither and The Faculty literally make me want to jump out of my own skin. But this movie right here was fucking beautiful. So if you take like the um cinematography and the beautiful shots of like the original Suspiria you take the context of films like Ginger Snaps and the blood and gore of Jennifer's body you literally have Raw. So Raw is about a coming of age story of the main character Justine as she is uncovering and trying to understand the changes that she is going through. Yes this film includes sex, cannibalism, food and some shit that PETA would show to folks about eating meat and I'm vegan so I can say that shit. So we have um, Ross pretty much following veterinarian, um, newly veterinarian school student, Justine, who is super sheltered and controlled by her parents. And if you watch the film in its entirety, you'll definitely see why. So she hasn't, she's never eaten meat um, in her life because her parents didn't allow her to. Again, if you see the movie towards the end, you will understand why. She goes to veterinarian school and isn't doing some crazy ass hazing. The veteran vet students made this new students eat raw kidney of a rabbit. Now, Justine doesn't want to eat it for obvious fucking reasons. One, I mean, besides the fact that she's vegan, like, who the fuck's meat eater or vegan wants to eat fucking raw-ass rabbit kidney? Um, And when she declines, she is threatened by veterinarian students. So she ate the fucking kidney, and then she turns into this fiend for flesh. You can compare her thirst for flesh to that, again, of the characters from Ginger Snaps or from Jennifer from Jennifer's Body. Ironically, it is a flesh of men, which is also similarities within the film. She also goes through a werewolf-like transformation. She breaks out of a shell, shell, she loses her virginity, she builds her confidence, and now her flesh cravings really take off when she accidentally or purposely eats the finger, the severed finger of her sister. Now, her sister has also also, it's also a veterinarian student, but she has been there, you know, longer than she has. And then plot twist, her sister's also a fucking cannibal. So that is where they find, like, common ground. Despite this occasion and other mishaps, their bond continues to go strongly. And they soon understand that their bond and similarities run deeper than they can comprehend. Now, what I like about this movie 
again and again, I'm not a fan of body horror, but the dramatic storyline mixed with like the viscerality of the film is just a beautiful equation. The twist at the end is like adding sprinkles to the cupcake and I'm not going to ruin it for you, but like I said before, ask your motherfucking parents who they were before they had you because there are secrets and the secret life that they had before you were born could literally, and in this film, I literally mean literally bite you in the ass. Side note, I am definitely vegan and this movie most definitely does not make me want to eat meat anymore. So moving on to 2017, finally, 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 the end of the decade where horror came for the next of every other genre in Hollywood. Y'all know I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Now, granted, this is a podcast and a platform for black horror by black horror. And when I was introduced to this film, it literally almost brought tears to my eyes as a black creator. This film changed the course of film for me, especially horror. To get out, most, to most people, get out is just simply a horror film, but to black Americans, get out is literally a documentary. Now the main idea of this story is simple and it is indeed, in fact, a horror story. So you have a black man, a dark-skinned black man, who is dating a white woman. They go to visit her white family and they get to meet him for the first time. That's it. That's the story. Jordan Peele got nominated for a fucking Oscar and shit. And this is black horror. This is how you wake up America and fucking Hollywood. You take a simple interaction like meeting your partner's parents for the first time, add a dash of interracial dating and liberal racism in the mix and you have a real life horror film. As Dr. Robin Means Coleman discussed in her book Horror Noir, being black in America within itself is a horror film. The history of our existence after being forcibly brought to this country will put any horror film out into shame and the fact that we have to relive trauma through constant films of slavery and mass murdering of black men and women in the media is also a horror story get out is a horror film told by us a personal experience okay so my rant is over back to the movie get out gives you so many different things it gives you cinematography which by now you know that i'm a freaking like freak for you know it also gives you what can fucking terribly go wrong with online dating. Super side note, Daniel Kaluuya, I believe that's his last name, who plays the character of Chris, should just stop dating online because it only gets him in trouble. And if you've seen him in the new film, Queen It's Slim, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It gives you organ trafficking. It gives you the fetishization of black people, black men in particular in this film. And most importantly, it gives you the idea of the liberal racism. Now, just a small definition of what encompasses liberal racism is that it's the people that you see at your job that speak to you, the people that invite, that you invite to lunch or even your own friends, the folks that we as black people invite to the cookout, the one like Rose's dad, claimed in the film voted for Obama. These are the people we invite into our homes. We elect as our president or political officials. We let control our government, but yet they still do not like our asses for reasons we cannot change, and that is for our skin color. Get Out was a catalyst for modern black horror, rewriting the common tropes of blacks dying first and always being pawns placed in films to only help their white counterparts succeed and to be written off. Jordan Peele opened so many doors of black for black lovers of horror to feel included in film. Going from being a successful comedian to being nominated for the best motion picture of the year and winning best original screenplay at the, at, at the Oscars. 
So some super funny side notes that I appreciate from this movie is that um, actor Daniel Kaluuya, I feel like I'm butchering his last name, but it is okay, um, was in the sunken place, right? And then obviously he got out and literally in every film since Get Out, he has been with a black woman. Like he was in the sunken place and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good, fam. Like this man had to go all the way to Wakanda to take refuge and get himself together. Get Out is literally one of the top three horror films of the decade, and I stand firm, stand firm as a con- content creator in that statement. And within that film, I have a completely newfound respect for TSA workers. <laughs> All right, y'all, moving forward to 2018, we have none other than Hereditary. Y'all, y'all. So Hereditary really fucked me up, like, all the way up for... Literally, it is the best film that came out in 2018. And if you haven't seen it, y'all, stop. Just stop, put a pause in the goddamn podcast and go watch it and then come back. Ari Aster is a bad man, y'all. This guy is fucking gold. So how I found out about the movie was in the summer of 2018, um, I was on Twitter scrolling and I follow a lot of pages within the horror community. And I kept seeing people just raving about and posting tweets about this film, Hereditary. And I did a little digging on what the film was about. And I found out that the director, Ari Aster, was also the director of the short film on YouTube, The Strange Thing About Strange Things About the Johnsons. Now, if you haven't seen The Strange Things About the Johnsons, um, it's weird. <laughs> you can watch it at your own discretion. So, uh, taking into account that I that this is the same director of that short film, I had to see the movie. So, y'all, I went to this movie a little too tipsy, and it definitely fucked me up so bad that I could not sleep for two days straight. Like, I literally had to sleep with the lights on. So. You have a family and the matriarch, the grandmother, she dies. And all of a sudden, a lot of weird shit starts to surface about the family. The family dynamic is also weird as fuck. So you have Annie, who is a mom. She's an artist. And it looks like she creates, like, tiny replicas of homes and life events that have transpired within her life. You have her husband, who is literally the glue that holds this weird-ass fucking family together. And, it's and he, you know, he seems like an all-around nice guy who is constantly having to deal with Annie's shit. You have Charlie, who is the youngest child. She is allergic to nuts, and she's definitely coming off as a little bit socially awkward, and she's super sheltered lastly there's peter the oldest son also socially awkward but seems to be in a place in his life where he's just trying to find himself he likes to smoke weed and hang out with his friends so when the grandma dies the family doesn't seem to be like upset about it like the only person that's kind of pissed off is charlie and he even references that like charlie was always her grandma's favorite and wanted her to be a boy now keep that in mind when i get to the end of the fucking story her relationship with the grandma was close because Annie really didn't allow her mom to be close to Peter. So Charlie, pretty much she dies in the movie. She gets decapitated in a car accident with her brother Peter um, as the driver under the influence. And shit really hits the fan after that. And that is the beautiful thing about the story. It's real. It's a real life depiction of grief. And it really grabs the audience. And then you get a chance to really grow a relationship with this family. Grief has also seemed to be a big part of Annie's life because both her brother and her father died when she was younger. Now, wrecked with both grief and pride, Annie sneaks off to a grief circle during um, the weekend. She's like lying to her husband, saying she's going to the movies by herself, yada, yada, yada. 
And while she's out at these grief circles, it just so happens that she meets a woman by the name of Joan who befriends her. Now, Joan is also, like, super fucking invasive and very pushy towards Annie. <laughs> now, y'all, I, I went to see this movie with Kenny, and he, like, hated Joan the entire movie. He's like, this bitch here is just too damn nosy for my liking. So more weird shit happens, and boom, come to find out, Annie's mom is, like, the head bitch in charge of, like, some fucking cult. She sacrificed her son, her husband, both her grandchildren to this demon pagan entity that is called Paymon and Joan is an accomplice of the damn cult and everything that had transpired after the death of their grandmother including the death of Charlie and Annie subconsciously going to this like grief session was all a part of the fucking plan now this film is definitely a slow burn shit doesn't hit the fan until the last like 45 minutes to an hour but my god when it does it is fucking insane my two favorite scenes are first when Annie is like sleepwalking and then she runs into Peter's room and he wakes up and he's like, what's like, what is wrong with you? And they go back and forth in argument. And she yells, I never wanted to be your mother. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, like I wanted to get an abortion when she found out she was pregnant with him. But I uh, also think that it was like her subconsciously protecting him because like she saw what had happened with the rest of the men in her family lineage. Now, the scariest, scariest, scariest scene in the movie is when Annie is like, it's like towards the end. So Annie's like possessed by payment at this point. And after setting her husband on fucking fire, she's trying to, like, um, silently watch Peter as he sleeps. Now, this bitch is just chilling on the motherfucking wall in fucking Peter's room and crawls across the room on the wall. And there's no music. Like, most films, like, if there was that, like, significant scare there would be some form of like music inquiry to like indicate that annie's on the side of the wall this movie does not give you no type of music at all it's like if you catch it you catch it if you don't you don't and that's what's fucking scary ari aster is amazing and if you just look at this guy at starbucks drinking coffee you would not think that he would come up with some shit like this he takes concepts like grief parental dynamics and created a phenomenal film and the last question I have to ask about this damn movie is, where the fuck was the goddamn police? But anyways, <laughs> moving to the last film on my list. We have finally made it to the end of the list. 2019. And some dope horror movies came out this last year. But one takes the cake, okay? Y'all didn't know what it is. It's us, okay? It's only right. So... I'm going to tell y'all about me and my confusing history with us. It took me four consecutive times of watching this movie to even get to even scratch the surface to uncover what us is about. Okay, so you have concepts of the American dream, materialism, immigration, classism, racism in American society, fucking secret tunnels. You even get a goddamn history lesson about like fucking charitable charitable events that ended up stealing money from the homeless rather than giving it to what it was really supposed to be of overall the film is about the blatant flaws of the american society system like the film is crazy it takes home invasion to a whole new level um it really made me look at rabbits in a creepy way. It turned a chill-ass song about smoking weed into the, one of the most terrifying songs ever. And I literally will never look at Bible verse Jeremiah 11, 11 the same. So pretty much the backstory of Get Out. Oh, excuse me, of Us. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Get Out. 
of us is while vacationing at the beach where a post-traumatic experience took place, mother and wife Adelaide Wilson becomes wrecked with anxiety that something from her past is coming back to haunt her and her family. So before heading to bed, their vacation home is terrorized by four intruders um, that end up looking just like them. And even there's a part where, um, you know, Red, the Red Tethered, who looks just like Adelaide, Lupita's character, is asked, like, who are y'all? And she's like, we're Americans. Like, the fuck? Like, this movie is full of metaphors. The idea, um, a lot of the ideas in this movie are really hiding in plain sight. But to the common person, like, you would not get it. It even took me, like, a, a long time to really sit and marinate and digest this film. Some of my favorite scenes within the movie, hands down, my number one favorite scene is a scene where Elizabeth Moss's character is gasping for life and they have like this Alexa prototype um, called Ophelia. So Elizabeth Moss's character is like, Ophelia, call the police. And Ophelia, the little Alexa prototype is like playing Fuck the Police by NWA. What? I lost my fucking mind. For me, that was so deep because I felt like, you know, Obviously, within the history of, like, white privilege, a lot of, you know, people feel as if, like, the police are, like, their savior. And they also tend to call the police on every single, you know, thing that black people do. So in this scenario, it was like, your white privilege cannot save you when the damnation of yourself is coming to haunt you or coming to kill you. Like, period. I loved it, hands down. I also did not appreciate how oblivious... Winston Duke's character was in the whole fucking movie. Like, sir, get it together. The ending scene when all the tethers are holding hands, emulating the Hands Across America symbol was fucking crazy and scary as fuck, especially because they had like Mini Ripperton's um, song. I think it's called Le Floor playing in the background. Hands down, that creeps me out. Um, but I think one of the funniest uh, scenes is when the daughter has to drive the family to safety and literally proves a point to her mother that she can drive. Overall, this film is super fucking trippy and I love it. Obviously, the ending scene where we discover that Lupita's character is really the real life tethered and like she switched identities when she was a kid. It's just it's it's a mind boggling, guys. Really sit and marinate with us. OK. All right, y'all. So thank y'all again for tuning in to Monstrosity's Voice, Hearts and Touch Conversations. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MVHU Podcast. We're streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Play, all of that good stuff. Go ahead and support us and don't forget to support Black Horror Films. All right, guys. I love y'all. Have a great new year. Peace out. Thank you.